0: This podcast was brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on Sirius XM.
1: From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Career Talk on Business Radio. Here is your host, Dr. Don Graham.
2: Welcome to Career Talk, your career insider. We are here on Business Radio. We are powered by the Wharton School SiriusXM XM, Channel 132. Hey, if you got a question, and it's Thursday noon Eastern, we are live. Take your questions all hour at 844 Wharton, 844 942 7866. I'm your host, Dr. Don Graham. I'm the director for the Wharton MBA program for executives in Philadelphia. I'm also a licensed psychologist former corporate recruiter and author of the new book, Switchers, How Smart Professionals Change Careers and See Success, Dream Team in Studio, which always makes it a fun show. So you guys are in for a real treat today. Give us a call, 844-942-7866. So what's going on in current news? Well, companies are increasingly changing the way they think about talent, which is driving a trend toward total talent management. A report released by the Global Talent Solutions leader, Randstad sourceright found 25% of global enterprises and mid-sized companies are shifting permanent roles to contingent positions this year. How is that going to impact you and your career? Well, we're going to find out later when we have a guest from Randstad join us live from the HR Tech Conference in LA. But before we get to that... We've gotten a lot of questions on seasonal hiring because we talked about it a few weeks ago. So before we go live to the HR Tech Conference, I thought we could talk about this a little bit and answer some of the questions. And to help us with that, we have Karina Myers who has a lot of experience in this area and she also works at the Career Center in Penn, so you know she's an expert on all things career. And she is going to give us 15 minutes of her time today to talk about this topic. Karina, you've worked in a manager as one as a manager in one of the major national retail stores that gets very, very busy during holiday season. So you've done a lot in this area and we're excited to have you here to help our listeners figure out how to navigate this. So let's just dive in with, uh, when does
0: seasonal hiring start? Seasonal hiring has actually already started um, for a lot of companies probably in mid-September. And definitely October is is the bulk of the hiring season because they want seasonal positions to be filled by early November, the latest, to ensure that they can uh, work for big holidays like Black Friday um, and obviously into December.
2: Yeah, yeah. And so if you're thinking about a seasonal job, then you need to be getting out there right now. Um, So I want to talk a little bit about the hiring process because it's interesting. We talk a lot about interviewing on Career Talk, but we don't often talk about interviewing for a seasonal job, which, you know, it can be a little bit different. The questions can be a little bit different. And so I wanted to talk a little bit how you can answer those questions. And so Karina, we're gonna kind of like play game here. We're gonna say, you know, what's the right answer? What's the wrong answer? So here's, here's the first interview question that you might get asked. This job will only last X number of weeks. Why are you interested? So I'm going to say an answer. you got to tell me if it's right or wrong. Okay. Um, for the discount.
0: And. Dion? Oh, <laughs> Dion, Dion, you, an you got you to... Gotta, you gotta. I, I wasn't ready. I, all right, <laughs> sorry. Sorry, we didn't warn you. Um, yeah, that is absolutely not something that we want to hear. Um, it's obviously a perk that even seasonal hires do get usually, um, but we want something a little bit more invested in... Um, in the company itself and demonstrating that you're willing to kind of work, work towards a possible uh, full-time position if that's of interest to you. Yeah, so like
2: any employer, a company that's hiring you even for seasonal work wants to know that you're invested in the company that um, you know, you've you've learned about their products. That maybe you've you've researched their culture. So, even though you are probably there in part <laughs> for the discount,
0: absolutely, which I'm, I sure, would be I'm too. sure
2: a lot of people are, I'm but sure. you don't
0: necessarily have to say that yeah. during <laughs>
2: during the interview time. Yeah, it's kind of one of those things that they've heard a lot. And even if you're trying to make a joke of it, it's probably not the best thing. So, you know, talk about how you like the products, how you've respected the store, how you want to learn about your uh, more about customer service. I mean, there's a lot of other things that you can say. Um so another question that might come up is what are your plans once the season is over? So again, I'm thinking saying, "Hey, in the last day, I'm just going to buy as much on my employee discount as I can <laughs> and run" is not the right answer, Karina.
0: No, absolutely not. Um, I think again, it's dem- one of the huge parts that you want to convey in your interview is that you're really looking to put forth a lot of Um, gain a lot of experience, and really work hard, especially because usually managers want you to understand that it's going to be a lot of hard work, a lot of multitasking. It's not just ringing at a register. It's ensuring that you're helping to uh, place items on the floor, making sure that your department looks spick and spam, helping customers on the floor match outfits for whatever scenario or situation um, they're looking to purchase for. Yeah, and so um,
2: one of the things and we were talking b- before the show that, that kind of surprised me a little bit was how many people last the entire <laughs> season. So let's just say you do get through the interview and you get a job. Uh, in your experience, yes. at, again, we're
0: talking about a specific major national retail store. How many people last? In the five years that I was um, within this company it would be about only 50% probably of seasonal hires that actually last the full like 2 months that they were hired for through January. Yeah,
2: and that blew my mind cuz i i was thinking definitely not 100%, but i was thinking a little bit more than 50%, which is why it makes your job so difficult because you have to come off the floor, interview people, start to train them and then boom, they turn around. What are some of the reasons that that people leave or maybe they're they're asked to leave?
0: <laughs> well, there's there's a couple things. The three kind of um most uh, common ones are one, uh, not being punctual and not being on time for your shift. Uh, so you, at least in the organization I was in, uh, each each um, associate had attendance credits. And so if they were late, they get attendance credits deducted. And if they get down to zero, then that's grounds for termination. Mm-hmm. And also demonstrates to the management team that you're not reliable. And if we need anyone, we definitely need them during the holiday season. Um, Number two is the associate themselves. They might come to one or two shifts and realize that it is not at all what they thought it was going to be. Yeah, this is hard. Too crazy with the customer interaction. People are crazy, especially um, at the holidays. Oh, it's a lot. It's definitely <laughs> a lot. Um, and so maybe on their own volition, they do not come back and they choose not to continue, and, continue on with their schedules so they that ghost they had. You. Exactly. Yeah. They pretty much ghost us. Um, and then third, around the holiday time, a lot of people kind of realize that they're or automatically going to. To this thinking, oh, I'm only temporary, it doesn't matter. And so they might take advantage and uh, steal some items. I, definitely... I know you had a story about somebody who did that. Oh, yeah. So when I was working in the men's department, um, one time, one of my associates, I noticed that he was always ringing out what se- appeared to be his friends outside of the store. And I realized that he was um, bringing other items like handbags and socks and um, women's clothing up to the men's register. And so I talked to our loss prevention team, which is our security team, to you know maybe want to keep an eye. Um, and found out that this gentleman was discounting um, his for doing major discounts on items for his friends. Uh, One example was it was like a $500 coach bag, and he was selling it to them for $100. Um, And so in that case, uh, he left the store in handcuffs. Yeah, yeah. And that's unfortunately (laughs) not uncommon, especially during the holiday season. Yeah,
2: I will say that probably one of the hardest jobs is managing um, temporary workers or seasonal employers at that time of year, because everything's so busy. Customers are are. You know, impatient. It's it's got to be a crazy time of year. Hey, have you had a seasonal job? And have some tips about how other people can find one, and, and more specifically, find one that fits their personality, the culture they want to work in, maybe their um, interests. 844 Wharton eight four four nine four two seven eight six six I'm your host, Dr. Don Graham. We're here with Karina Myers, who has a lot of experience in. Hiring and working with and managing seasonal workers, and we're talking about how you can find a seasonal job, get through the interview, and last the season. Um. So, so in answer to that question, what are your plans once the season is over? What if you want to stay, uh-huh. Karina? What if you want to extend? Like maybe you want to stay on full time. What are some of the things you can do to uh, make that happen?
0: Well. I will say that the decision to have someone back if there are uh, full-time positions available after the holiday really lies uh, with, a, with a management team. So during your time as a seasonal associate, if you are demonstrating um, the work ethic, constantly taking initiative um, and working not just with customers, but making sure to fill in items and really take ownership in the department that you're in, um, engaging with customers, it's really about initiative being able to work with a team um, because there's always so much to be done within your department that you constantly have to kind of Work with others to make sure everything is accomplished and kind of allow each person to do their own, have their own role and make sure that that is communicated. Um, and as I said before, it's really about uh, showing that you're able to be parsable with customers, um, really constantly make them your, your sole attention while out on the floor as well. Those are the three big things.
2: Yeah. So don't be on your phone, don't be speaking to your
0: colleagues constantly. Yeah. Some of the big no no's, especially um, as kind of managers are, are walking around, just ensuring that the floor is operating properly is Big Pet Peeves, seeing co-workers, you know, talking to each other constantly every single time you kind of walk through the department. And I know, I mean, Don, you've mentioned this before um, as a customer, uh, seeing associates just constantly talking to each other and not acknowledging that there's a customer in the area or, you know, if they're up at the register ready to check out. Those are huge things that are a pet peeve for customers and obviously then affect our sales. Um, Total pet peeve. Absolutely. And so that is something that is a sure way to kind of get you blacklisted from ever coming back. But I think another big thing is keep up communication with the managers, really develop a rapport with them and let them know that, you know, you're willing to do anything and um, say, I'll be your right-hand man. And I think that can be a really great impression to make and make sure that you have a someone to advocate for you after the holiday season is done.
2: Yeah, and I would say customer service skills like this are so critical to pretty much every single job. So if you're thinking about, oh, should I get a seasonal job? What are the pros and cons? I think that's one of the biggest pros is that you're you're building skills around conflict management, you're mm-hmm. building skills about dealing with with diverse types of people, people mm-hmm. who have maybe unreasonable requests, coming up with creative ways to solve problems. I mean, I, I think you pretty much see everything. In a retail
0: type setting. I mean, it's really difficult to handle customers um, and their personalities are completely varied. And so you have to be able to juggle and problem solve immediately. And that's something that you can bring with you, even if you do decide to go, you know, not go into retail, maybe Um, you're always going to be working with clients or customers or stakeholders. And so that's definitely a skill set that you can you know, show that you've had experience in. Of course we're talking about retail because that's where
2: your experience is.
0: But there's a lot of different
2: types of seasonal work. So I did some research on this. UPS is hiring a hundred thousand workers for this holiday season. One eight hundred flowers is hiring eight thousand people, you know, catering, supply chain. There's so many different types of places that you might not even think of any kind of entertainment or you know a lot of people have holiday parties so they're looking for individuals who can work in in those fields. So I think what's really important is take a look around and see what's going to be a good fit not just for you know your, your interest but also your physical activity. Some of these jobs like I know the one you you did and managed Karina take a lot of you know,
0: physical, on yeah. your feet, moving boxes. Absolutely, yeah. Um, and I, in fact, I think it's part of the application process in the beginning where you have to check whether you're okay with lifting, I think it's like thirty up to 30 pounds of items. And especially if you're working in a back-of-house role where you're not necessarily selling, but you're helping to put out all the goods and unload the morning trucks and things like that, that's going to be absolutely imperative um, to make sure you're quick and efficient to do that. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah. And one last question before we wrap up that I think is probably the kicker uh, when getting hired for a seasonal job. And we talked a little bit about the pros of seasonal work. And this is probably one of the biggest cons is the the question about how flexible is your schedule? Because we know that many seasonal jobs have pretty crappy shifts because that's just the nature of it.
0: Absolutely. That's probably one of the main things that can make you attractive to managers um, is you telling us that you're flexible, you can work weekends, or let's say you're in school during the day, you can, you've you committed to, hey, I can work, you know, six to 10, and then I can definitely work any weekends that you need. Because we need staff on the floor when the business is busiest, and obviously in the holidays, that's always the weekends and evenings usually. And so that's something that's a huge key that will always take um, someone who has more availability, um, considering their, if they're experience and skill sets are the same versus someone who has less. And it doesn't end, you know, December 26th. No, no. It ends up going. Usually um, most stores have to do inventory in early um, uh, or early January. And so we need a lot of people on the floor to help kind of uh, scan through those SKUs and make sure that we have all of the items um, in the stock rooms and on the floor. So we usually go until... Mm, second week in, in January. hmm So if you're looking for a
2: seasonal role, a couple of just wrap up tips as we as we close out this segment here. One, create a list of employers by you that you you're interested in their products and services, you've used their products and services, you can get there easily. Attendance and especially punctuality is very important. Doesn't matter the size of the organization. You know, if it's a small you know, retail shop, show up in person, ask. I mean, sometimes they'll have the help wanted sign. Sometimes they won't. But if you're you're a regular customer, I mean, just go ahead
0: and ask. The worst thing they could say is actually, no, we don't need help. Yeah, and actually, um, I mean, absolutely taking the shift. I had a friend who, you know, didn't know who to for another job to sign her cover letter to. And so she just called up the office and She actually ended up getting the hiring manager, and she was so impressed that someone actually wanted to reach out and communicate um, that that always stuck with her, and it was definitely a huge pro through her interview process.
2: Yeah. So applying online is what a lot of us do, but Mm -hmm. I think if you take that extra step, you show up,
0: you stand out, you are personable, I mean, you're going to get to the head of the line. Absolutely. And there's a lot of, even in seasonal retail jobs, um, I think through the application process, they ask do you have a referral for this position because it matters so much if someone's willing to vouch for you and put their um, kind of professional capital on the line.
2: Yeah, so I think I think as we wrap up what we see here, seasonal hiring is a lot like regular hiring and I think the biggest mistake people make is not taking it seriously not being enthusiastic about it not prepping for the interview because they think it's just going to be about filling out an application and if you want to get some of the best jobs or if you want to get a job period, now is the time show up early, get in the front of the line, be as flexible as you can and lots of Uh, good things will happen for for the people who are doing it right now. So, Karina, this has been fantastic. Thank you for making the time to come on the show. We had a lot of questions about seasonal hiring, and I know I kind of roped you in last minute because you had um, a lot of experience in this area. So we really appreciate you being here. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Hey, 844-942-7866. You're listening to Career Talk on SiriusXM 132. I'm your host, Dr. Don Graham. Hey, if you haven't checked out my TEDx talk... Learn how just one conversation can open up a world of opportunities. Just Google TEDx Don Graham to find it. So let's get in to our next segment. So companies are moving towards contingent workforces, shifting away from permanent roles. And this is something that you want to know about and how it's going to impact your career or your industry. So today, we're very excited to welcome Joanne Estrada, Global Head of Contingent Workforce Solutions for Randstad Source Rights Talent Innovation Center. Randstad SourceRight is a global talent solutions leader, driving the talent acquisition and human capital management strategies for the world's most successful employers in her role. Joanne leads the development and growth of managed services programs and total talent solutions with over 20 years experience helping companies maximize their freelance Management and Human Cloud Platform Technologies. We're so excited to have Joanne joining us live directly from the HR Technology Conference and Exposition in Las Vegas today. Welcome to Career Talk, Joanne. Hi, John. Thank you so much. And thank you for such a great introduction. I could not have done it better myself. Well, yeah. I mean, you've done so many things and I'm so excited to have you on today because, you know, the research that that you and your company are doing and the fact that you're right now at the HR Technology Conference where they're talking about all the things that are up and coming for the next uh, year is super exciting because we get to pass along all of those great tips to our listeners. And let's start there, Joanne. Let's start with um you know what is the purpose of this conference that you're at and w- what is the scoop about what you're learning and seeing wow great i have a big question yeah.
1: that, that you could basically <laughs> spend the rest of the show on that i know right i could spend you know every day for the next week talking about this but in, in the brief uh time that we had so you're um hr tech to and um human capital professionals is so. So,
2: JoAnne, um, yeah. You're you're breaking up a little bit. So, uh, am i breaking up. Okay, let's try. Let's try. You're something. good now. You're good now.
1: So, is this is this
2: better? Perfect. So, if you could just oh, excellent. You could just start that answer over so we can make sure we get the the whole of it.
1: Yeah, sure. Absolutely. So, um, yearly HR tech is is held and it really is a way for um, human capital professionals and organizations to be able to share best practices and also share what technologies are coming out in the next year or so or enable a better education of what technology capabilities are out there. So we um, uh, attend... You know, yearly and be, enable our clients to get an understanding of what's happening as well as us as an organization to understand what's happening and how it impacts our specific solution. Um, some of the things that we're looking at right now are, or is a really big topic, Don, and I, I don't think you would be surprised is what's happening with machine learning and some of the data and analytics that's impacting clients' abilities to bring talent into an organization. But not only that, how do we keep talent in an organization. It's definitely an area right now which a lot of organizations are very concerned about, not only from a recruitment perspective, but also Talent within their companies, so lots of uh, automation and interesting things going on right now uh, that will enable those those conversations to continue to occur.
2: Yeah, and I want to talk about um, as much of these things as we can today because it's it's really interesting. I think I think people in the workforce are both very excited about what's coming, but also very nervous about what's coming and how it's going to impact their industry or their roles. So so um, you know that that's something that I think our listeners are always listening for. And when I, when I saw what you were doing around contingent workforce, I know this. we've been seeing this stat for years about how in 2020, 50% of the workforce <laughs> is going to be contingent, and people have been looking at that, getting a little bit nervous. So what does that mean uh, for companies, but also for professionals?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And that's very true. And we're starting to see those numbers even exceed what we had originally thought was going to happen in 2020. And every time we say 2020, I can't believe that's next year. I know. I mean, it's it's <laughs> not even next year. It's like three months. It's like, bam. There you go. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, when we talk about contingent, we're talking about the non-term type of workforce. And, you know, it's really interesting to see from our study that it it has identified that More than 55% of working professionals, they're open to those non-traditional type of arrangements of work. We no longer have to think about as the only opportunity to be a permanent employee of a company. We can now look at, you know, not only contracting. That has been a way of working for the past, you know, 20-odd years, um, or even longer than that, if you think about when Contingents first started. But now as a freelancer, or now as I caught your, your segment a minute ago, but seasonal, or gig type of work. So when we're thinking about how we can look at the impacts of how people are more willing to work with non-traditional, non-perm, organizations are really needing to think about, well, how is that impacting our, our ability to deliver what we need to deliver as an organization? Talent strategies are extremely important to organizations to just achieve their overall goals. How are we going to get that work done is very important. We're really seeing some optimization of bringing technologies and efficiencies, but also how do we upskill that talent that we already have today? Because again, they're so open to those non-traditional, non-perm type of work. They're they're very uh, quick to leave an organization.
2: Yeah. And I think that uh, that I know your survey is global. And so I think, okay. you know, I mean, I focus on, on workers in the U.S. I think one of the biggest things that people worry about when they hear gigs or contracts or contingent workforce is, is health care and benefits because some other countries don't have to worry about that. So I'm <laughs> curious in the U.S., you know, how that's playing out. We're seeing a lot of things in the news around companies you know, like Uber and other things where employees are wanting more of the pie. And, and so what are you seeing specifically in the U.S. around that, Joanne?
1: Sure. Yeah. And I think everyone refers to Uber being the Uberization of work, right? How we're transi- transforming the, the likes of of work. So what we're also saying, um, Don, is that, you know, just because you may be looking at contingent work, maybe gig or seasonal, doesn't mean that, benefits are not available to you. There are organizations in this marketplace that provide temp workers benefits. There are organizations that you could become, you know, a W-2 or a, a, could work with a company that will act as your employer of record, and they provide the benefits. However, at the same time, I think you know this very well, is that oftentimes when the, uh, a talent is looking at contingent, it's because typically in a contingent or non-perm the salary or i should say the rate of pay typically is higher because there is an awareness that you don't have the typical benefits or may not have the typical benefits and may need to go out and purchase it. So you have to kind of look at, you know, what is your driver to look at either a perm type of role or a contingent or gig and there's different ways to consider either a higher rate of pay or some some uh, arrangements that allow you to purchase benefits. Yep.
2: Hey, just tuning in, you're listening to Career Talk on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. We're on Sirius XM channel 132. I'm your host, Dr. Don Graham, and we're excited to have Joanna Strada here with us today, Global Head of Contingent Workforce Solutions for Randstad Source Rights Talent Innovation Center. And she's joining us live directly from the HR and Technology Conference and Exposition in Las Vegas today, which is very exciting because we're getting all of the latest and greatest right from the source. You've got a question for us on Contingent Workforce. Of course, if it's Thursday, we take any and all career questions. Live 844 Wharton 844 844-942-7866. So um, in terms of Contingent Workforce, I do think a lot more people like the flexibility. And I think that's something that, that people have been saying about the Contingent Workforce. But what are some of the other benefits for, you talked about maybe higher pay because of the trade-off of benefits. Are there are there other things that are pros for people who may not have any experience in the contingent work world and might be thinking about, hey, is this for me?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think there are several. Um, obviously, you've already mentioned the flexibility. There are a lot of um, companies out there that are putting gig-like work out to the the public that enables talent to be able to say, you know what, I'll, I'll, I'll take this shift or I'll take this job or I can do this project. So that flexibility is definitely a benefit. Yes, talked a, a little bit about the rate of pay. The other thing is, you know, we are starting to see, and I think this is, you know, some something that your listeners can relate to, some of the younger generation does, they don't want to work that nine to five for one company. They really want to be able to decide the types of interesting types of projects they want to work for. And sometimes that's not available if you're just working with one company. So if you want to look for the projects or you're very interested in interesting type of work, this is an opportunity for talent to decide, I want to do that type of work at this time period for this rate of pay. And because we're also seeing across the industry, and you mentioned it earlier, that a lot of companies are really looking at bringing in more of the gig or the contingent type of, type of workforce, there's a many, many opportunities out out there for people who who are skilled, so those IT engineering type of professional, to those that are coming out of high school that want to work for different companies uh, in the gig environment.
2: Yeah, I, I, I agree. And I think another benefit that I see is you get to try a lot of different things. I mean, what we're seeing now is that people have varied interests. We know that people are no longer working at one company or industry or field, and people do have varied interests. So I think these types of work arrangements will give people the opportunity to try different things without it being stigmatized like a, like being a job hopper or or not being able to figure out what you want to do. I also think it helps job seekers with building agility and I think that's something companies know they are right. going to need as we move into the future that they you know it's not just about having the skill it's about coming in with some of these these what used to be called soft skills, but I think they're pretty critical, which is the ability to problem solve or the ability to figure something out without a roadmap or the ability to have interpersonal relationships where you can influence and collaborate. And so some of these things that you learn in these types of roles in short time because you have to produce pretty quickly, I think are going to actually create a a pool of professionals who are a lot more agile. Would Would you say you're seeing that, Joanne? Absolutely,
1: 100%. And the other thing that I would call out is not only are companies looking external for those types of, you know, ability to get their work done by, you know, project-based assignments or, or some interesting work, they're also looking internally. You know, again, it's it's no longer where talent are staying for 20 years at organizations, right? It could be where talent are just staying, people are just staying two to three years. So we're seeing a lot of organizations internally have programs where people, if you're working for a company, you can even look to do different projects internally so that they don't, you know. People don't have to necessarily leave an organization. That's one way for people to be able to get that exciting type of work improve upon their experience and get some um, uh, additional uh, project-based assignments within their current company. So we're seeing it externally as well as internally, because I, I think we cannot deny that organizations are very concerned about keeping their employees for as long as they they can.
2: I love that you said that, because I think a lot of people, when they get bored of their job or they decide that they want to do something <laughs> else, they rarely look internally because they think, I have to jump to another company. And if you work for a large organization, I think that's one of the best ways to make a functional switch is to see what else is available because you've already proven yourself in that company. You probably have built a network in that company and you know how their their customers work and their approaches work. And so it's such a great way. And I know a lot of companies aren't open to that, but I love hearing that more and more companies are recognizing that being open to that is a huge benefit for them. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. We're definitely seeing. We have a couple of clients who are going through some of those programs today. So it's, it's definitely an increased awareness of not only the, um, the opportunities to attract new talent, but to maintain what talent you currently have and upskill those.
2: And are they training employees for these? Or are you seeing that, that they're saying, OK, yeah, we, we'll
1: move you over and we're, we're going to invest in you? Yeah, we are seeing that. In fact, some of the topics that a lot of the analysts here at HR Tech have been talking about is what are companies doing to um, maintain their their talent and to upskill their talent? Because I think there's no denying that the jobs that we have today are going to be so different in the next four to five years, right? There's going to be a lot of transformation. In order to do that, companies are looking at, okay, how do we go through and transform our current work workers and that includes the upskilling and the training absolutely
2: so when we come back i want to talk a little bit more about total talent management and um you know the fourth industrial revolution and some of the other things <laughs> that that you know you're seeing but right now we have to go to our break so we're going to go to our brief break quiz quiz
1: there's a quiz
2: Yes, and it's relevant to the retail industry, actually. 80 billion pieces of clothing are consumed every year, 400% more than we consumed just two decades ago. The average woman has over $550 of unworn clothing in her closet. And for the clothes she does use, she will wear them this many times before getting rid of them. So how many times does the average woman wear a piece of clothing before getting rid of it. If you think you know, give us a call at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. I'm your host, Dr. Don Graham. You're listening to Career Talk on Sirius XM, channel 132, and we'll be right back.
1: You're listening to Career Talk on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Here again is Dr. Don Graham.
2: Welcome back to Career Talk, your career insider. We are on Business Radio. We are powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM Channel 132. And we are very excited today to have Joanna Strada, Global Head of Contingent Workforce Solutions for Randstad Source Rights Talent Innovation Center with us live from Las Vegas at the HR Tech Conference and Exposition all hours. So if you've got a question about the future of the workforce, contingent workforce solutions, total talent management, or how any of these things are going to impact your job—you are here on the right day. Eight four four Wharton eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. And Joanne, if people would like to learn more about the the data that you've collected or about
1: the work that you're doing, where can they reach you? Absolutely. Um, if you go to com, we have the ability to share our talent friends with you through that mechanism, happy to do so. So, again, com.
2: Fantastic. So, what is total talent management? What, is, what does that term mean? Why should employers know it? Why should professionals know it? What What is going on in, in this field of total talent management?
1: Sure. Total talent management. Yes, and I think we often... Um, use the term total talent acquisition, but I'm glad we're focusing more so on total talent management. So this is really a holistic and for the most part, a very proactive approach to how to not only attract talent, but manage the entire talent workforce. So we talked earlier about contingent and PERM and GIG. Historically, organizations have segmented the um, acquisition management of PERM from contingent. And now we're saying, and well, you know what, not for nothing, Don. we've seen this over the past couple of years, but it's becoming more and more impactful to organizations where they're starting to realize or they have started to realize that they need to look across their entire talent base. So from contingent, again, to gig, to, to uh, uh, perm employees, that allows them to remain agile, I mentioned agility very earlier on in the session, so that they can stay ahead in this ever-changing business environment that is really being impacted by the change of the way people are willing to work. Again, looking at more contingent as well as some of the automation that's coming into play um, here at HR Tech.
2: And I think the way you describe it in this phrase, hire for the work, not the job, is a really good way to kind of boil this down and explain it to people. So instead of having headcount and we have to backfill that headcount, the shift is moving to hiring for the work, not the job. So can you say more about that, Joanne?
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, historically, organizations, and even today, some of the organizations are saying, what role do we have to fill? Now we're having conversations, and it's very obvious through the survey, what is the job that we have to get done? Because that will truly define what the talent strategy should be in order for organizations to get that work done and by a, by enabling the conversation to focus on the work where we can allow for organizations to understand what is the best mechanism to get that work done is it internally with your current full-time base? Is it going out to market for a, a perm employee? Is it to outsource it to a company? Or is it maybe to bring in a, a temp labor or a gig? So it's really focused on what is the work that we need to have done and not necessarily bringing in the role. To your point, Don, where a lot of organizations are saying, well, I need a headcount. I need a full budget. Now it's just focusing on what I need to get done in terms of that work and how do I, how do I pay for that? And get that done. And this is a huge shift because I used to work in human
2: resources and I can see why companies are are looking to you and your company for help with this because this is way more complicated. This isn't, okay, we have you know 10 open jobs and we have to check the boxes and fill them. This is about a fluid motion of, of work that's coming and shifting and changing and requiring different skills and different levels and, and everything. So this is, HR didn't used to have a seat at the table it was very much right. you know policy paperwork those kinds of things so is hr finally getting a seat at the table
1: absolutely And you know it's no longer hr any just hr anymore don we're seeing organizations set up you know a, a dedicated talent acquisition and when we say talent acquisition they're looking across the talent base so it's hr coming to the table it's talent acquisition we're seeing you know um uh, executive people officers coming in, and they're looking across the entire base. So, no longer is it just focused on policy and process and how to engage for the non employee base, but it's now looking across, and HR is definitely being brought to the table, as long as along with T, uh, TA, talent acquisition.
2: Yeah, and I I think this is this is going to continue to be a complex issue, and I'm sure that many organizations are just dipping their toe in the water. And It's going to take them a little bit of time to figure out. And so I'm always thinking about how does this impact the the job seeker and the person who is going to get hired. And I know a lot of people have heard for decades that talent is our, our biggest um, yes. assets and stuff, but they haven't always felt that way. So are we <laughs> going to see a shift? Are, are are job seekers and professionals going to to see different treatment coming out of this type of movement?
1: I would say we're seeing an absolute yes, according to our surveys. If you kind of think about what organizations, to your point, have done in the past, even the efforts that they have done have been focused on the PERM. Now we're seeing um, through surveys and the work that we're doing with our clients, it's going across the talent base. So, for example, how important is an organization's brand and talent attraction? It's really been focused historically on on the perm basis, but now we're using clients' brand in attracting the non-perm, the contingent workforce. So that's one of the examples. The other examples is, again, how do you – Keep, keep, keep the talent of your organizations. Is it by allowing for the various different types of exciting opportunities within your organization? Is it by, you know, bringing in some additional efforts around health and benefits? And when we say benefits, it's not just, you know, the, the health benefits anymore. It's access to gyms. It's, you know, some sort of uh, ability to take on, you know, maybe other types of programs. So we're definitely seeing a, a, uh, a large transition of how important talent is being treated, not only at acquisition, but management as well once they're a part of the organization. And it's no denying some of this is because of the low unemployment rates across many of the different countries and how, how important the war of talent is right now for organizations.
2: So I'm curious, is this also impacting compensation? I know a lot of people say, well, hey, we, we'd be able to retain employees if we, if we paid market rates and did more, more research around that. So are you seeing that as a benefit of this, Joanne? Yeah, we are. I mean,
1: it's, it's always, you know, the supply and demand, right? You know, when supply is low, um, you know, and the demand is higher, oftentimes we see higher rates. Um, but what we're also saying, not all talent is only focused on what they're being paid. They're really focused on, hey, what type of exciting work is out there? Who is doing, you know, what? Know, is it the likes of a Google? Or is it the likes of a Walmart.com? Who is the company that they want to work for? And then those non-financial types of benefits. You know, do they have a good work-life balance? Can I work remotely from home? Um, you know, what other offerings there have? So yes, there definitely is that balance of higher rates, but also at the same time, we are seeing where talent doesn't necessarily focus only on the rates, but those additional benefits that they're seeking.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I imagine there's some generational differences in what in what people <laughs> want. It. And I want to talk about that because I think that's important, but I want to give out the phone number in case we have anybody who is... is is. Wanting to ask a question, 844 Wharton 844 844-942-7866. We're talking to Joanna Strada, straight from the HR Technology Conference and Exposition in Las Vegas. We're talking about contingent workforce solutions. So if you've got a concern, how is AI going to impact my industry, my job? What do I need to think about if my, my industry is moving towards a more contingent gig-type workforce? How do I prepare for that? Or maybe you've had experience with that and you want to give us a call, 844 Nine four two seven eight six six. of course you can go to Twitter at, at Dr. Don Graham as well so generationally I would imagine I don't know if your your data breaks this down but that there are certain generations that are much more excited about contingent workforce and others that are a lot more fearful about it when you you know you think about age bias and things of that nature and just you know what they're used to in terms of traditional
1: jobs are, do you break it down to that level Joanne? You know, ours doesn't necessarily, but there are definitely studies out there being done by various different analysts that does represent that. So, you know, the, the generation of mine, for example, I've been with, with Rafa Sorcerer for five years. My age year was five years, and that was 10. So, you know, our generation of, of um, are open to the employment of like 20 years and perhaps even enablement of retirement. The younger generation, some of these studies are saying, is they're not so much interested in staying in a company for 10, 15, 20 years. They, they take a perm job, but a perm job may only result in them being employed by that company between two to three years. So there's more um, you know willingness and um, desire by the younger generation to look at The the interesting work, the interesting organizations, and to be able to move from organization to organization, much more so than some of the older generations. were
2: Right. Yep. Um, Hey, you're just tuning in. We are talking about contingent workforce, how the world of work is changing for 2020 straight from the HR Technology Conference and Exposition. But right now we need to answer our pre-break quiz. So... The question on the table was how many times does the average woman wear a piece of clothing before getting rid of it. And I know Dion this is a little bit like
1: unfair right to wheelhouse. you. Yeah, yeah, a little yeah.
2: bit unfair mm-hmm. to you because I'm sure yeah. the survey would have been very different for men. Yeah.
0: So, so I'm not sure what's low and what's high. <laughs> <laughs> so I was thinking single digits but I feel like that might be too low cuz that's I feel like that's low.
2: Okay, remember your guy.
0: I know. Yeah. So, uh,
2: <laughs> just a little unbiased. A little bias.
0: I'm gonna say twelve.
2: All right, that's not like way
0: off. I mean, I wasn't going higher. Like I was, it was hard to get over ten.
2: Yeah, no, you're not You're not way off, but I, I, I'm going to say this is a hard question for Michelle, mm-hmm. too, because at one point I did help her clean out her closet. You did. And I, I would be shocked if she wore most of her clothes. I don't even think she realized what her clothes She's like, wow, I didn't even see that in my closet. I, I did, did forget <laughs> about some stuff. And so, I definitely have a lot more uh, unworn clothing than you said, the average Yeah, woman does. So, so I know Michelle's probably going to... I'm
0: I'm going to guess mine was on the lower end but i'm going to say the average woman
2: probably wears a piece i'm going to say 6 times. Oh, so close. Oh, so close. Mm. So close. It was 7. So so yeah, if we were playing if we were playing high low, Michelle would win that. that. But yeah, that that's crazy. So a survey of women found that respondents on average wore an item just 7 times. And here's the thing. Only 10% of clothing donated to thrift stores or charities gets sold. 85% of plastic pollution in the ocean is due to microfibers from synthetic clothing. And polyester takes 200 years to break down. So the fashion industry is designed to make you feel out of trend after one week. And here's my PSA for today. If you are concerned about the environment, wear hand-me-downs. Well now I feel like I'm a terrible person. <laughs> that was my point, Michelle. No. I, I think I think men win win the game yeah, on this. Guys, Cause, guys are awesome. Because I think like you know, Dion, you probably have like five t-shirts that you just wear. I mean, no, I've got a lot of t-shirts. You do have a lot of t-shirts. I have seen you, but I mean, guys in general are wearing their clothes a lot more so yeah yeah all right
0: way way over seven
2: yeah so i learned a lot from from this study and i think wow like i'm going to dig in the back of my closet and find some things that probably are out of trend but you're going to see me wearing them so we'll take pictures here on career talk yeah hey 844 we are talking about seasonal work contingent workforce what's happening in the fourth industrial revolution with joanna strada who is live at the h our technology conference and exposition in Las Vegas. So, what what is the fourth industrial revolution, and and what should we know about it?
1: Wow, great question. And I love that we're using that term. Um, it's basically you know, realizing that there's a lot happening in terms of automation, as well as some of the technologies that are coming out. So, you know what what um, what this means is, you know. The needs of organizations and job seekers are certainly changing. And then when you add into these new technologies, that we are clearly at a turning point. There is going to be, there's no denying through many studies, there's a lot more automation. There's a lot more um, machine learning. There's a lot more... Um, you know, uh, robots coming out there, and how do we ensure that we know that our talent, the the workforce, is able to really support the changing needs of the work that needs to be done because it does require different skill sets. So,
2: it's it's kind of a scary term because again, people think about AI, and they, their first thought is it's gonna it's gonna take my job away, but. I'm sure that there's different industries being impacted differently by this. So do you have any insights about, you know, what industries are are really feeling this and and, um, are kind of at the forefront?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and that was definitely part of our study. And and I don't think this would be surprising to anyone, but we're definitely seeing it more in automotive and manufacturing, uh, having the highest, of course, impact there, according to what our, our study has said, but also the pharmaceutical and the healthcare industry. So, if you can, you know, think about the life sciences uh, area and and healthcare; those those are other industries that most likely we will, will be heavily impacted by this changing uh, work environment.
2: So, are, do you in your research? I mean, are you finding that that companies in these industries are are trying to reskill their workers and give them different opportunities? I mean, wh- how are they dealing with the talent changes in their companies?
1: And that's exactly it, Don. Organizations are really thinking thinking about their workforce more strategically. If we're going to be doing work differently, if we're bringing in more automation, maybe it's just someone transitioning from doing the work to uh, same type of work to doing a different type of work and upskilling the work the workforce. So it's absolutely being recognized across. The, the marketplace as well as within our com- within um, our support models where we're looking at how do we upskill and ensure even with the talent shortage that we have today that we can still get the work done that needs to be done by how you know how these uh, innovation and automation is coming in. So if,
2: you know, as people are listening, professionals are listening, whether they're in the automotive or, or pharma or healthcare industries or other industries altogether, I think we've all seen how technology is impacting pretty much across the board every single job that is out there. What are some things that as we're moving into this fourth industrial revolution and total talent management that employees can do or professionals can do or even, you know, thinking about, about people who are, who are just. Graduating college and and moving into the workforce, what can people be doing to prepare and to make sure they are marketable and successful in this new workforce structure?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I would say the same thing would be for organizations. Really uh, take a look at what's happening out there. Make sure that you're aware of what's happening in terms of, you know, not only the current organization that you're with, but be what's happening in in your specific market. Be aware. Um, Be willing to look at upskilling um, and look at how, you know, you can improve upon your current skills today. There's so many programs out there that organizations are offering within their companies as well as third-party companies offering that will really enable people to stay ahead of it. Um, The other thing I would say is, you know, organizations are very sensitive to this we Ronsa source right Ronsa are also very sensitive, and we're upscaling our own people. So, Don, we're really, we're really drinking our own Kool-Aid here. <laughs> we're transitioning our own workforce and upskilling the talent that we have that are providing these types of services to to companies. So, really be aware of it. Be open to new new skills skills and opportunities, and really ensure that you're knowledgeable about what's happening.
2: Yeah. And I know there's a lot of, you talk a lot about data analytics and how that's being used to manage talent. And so we're going to see a lot more of that coming up as well, if you're not already seeing it in your organization. So I I think there's going to be a lot of interesting things coming. And, you know, just some of the great tidbits that have come out of our discussion, Joanne, or that you, know, you got to get your head out of the sand because the fact is technology will impact your career in one form or fashion, regardless of industry or field. Okay. And you need to keep growing. You need to keep learning technology. And I already feel somewhat illiterate in technology <laughs> when I hang out with my 12-year-old niece. I'm like, what are you talking about? So so I know it, it's moving much faster than it ever has. And we need to stay agile. We need to look internally for opportunities to regrow or, or re- Reskill ourselves and grow our skills, and these things are going to be moving a lot faster than I think a lot of us have anticipated. So I'm very excited that you're you're at this conference today and sharing all of this information with us. And one last time, Joanne, where can people reach you if they'd like more information on this research or what's happening um, in the workforce?
1: Absolutely, we have so much information that is available to people out there, from organizations to workforce. You can go to Ronsa.com or even RonsaSourceWrite.com. My contact information are there. We're more than happy to be a source for anyone out there.
2: Fantastic. Thank you so much, Joanne. Um, enjoy the rest of the HR Technology Conference and Exposition in Las Vegas. We'll be following you to see what's coming out of that. And we really appreciate you taking time today to be with us here on Career Talk. Thanks, Don. I appreciate your time. And I just want to say, of course, our listeners and Michelle and Dion, we are here every Thursday live taking all of your career questions. 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Of course, you can tweet to at Dr. Don Graham. You've been listening to Career Talk on Sirius XM channel 132, and we'll see you next time.
0: For more insight from Business Radio, please visit
1: businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.